I said last week we were going to start a new series today, and I, and I changed my mind um, for two reasons. One, because I didn't want to take a two-week break bef- between the first week and the second, um, since we won't be here next week. And the third reason is I, there's just a part of this becoming like Jesus that I thought we needed to have a, another discussion about. Um, and it's really more kind of, of a theological, doctrinal, um, <clears throat> so how does a person grow in their faith? How does a person become transformed? What does this really look like? What does Scripture really teach us about this process? Um, Depending on your idea or belief about what it looks like to be a Christian, the idea of a mature Christian, you may have a different definition definition from somebody else. Uh, And you may even within your own life question, well, I feel kind of stuck. Is that a bad thing? Am I really a Christian or not? over the years that we grew up in a, a pretty conservative environment. Uh, and the word conservative is really a terrible word because it means a lot of different things to different people. Um, but we had a tendency to get saved more than once. Deidre used to talk about getting saved almost every other week because the preacher would say, if you're not 100% sure, that, or, you know, I think it, that's not how it goes. If you're 97% sure that you're saved, you're 100% lost. And those kinds of rhetoric that just would get shared in the church, what it would end up doing is just leading to lots and lots of confusion. And it would lead people to think if you made a mistake or if something in your life didn't go the way you thought a good Christian it would go for, then you begin to question, am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? Do I really love God? And one of the reasons we call Journey Church Journey is we recognize everybody is on a journey and they're at a different place in that journey. And so what does it look like for you to become like Christ if you don't yet feel that you have become like Christ? What does that process look like? What, is it, what do the scriptures tell us about how does a person become like Christ? And so I want to mention a few of the topics that we talked about, but I don't want to go back over those. But wherever you are on your own journey, um, it is a good place to be. And every one of us hopefully will not stay where we are, and hopefully every one of us is not where we used to be. Um, so as we go through this, I want to share a little bit of my story. I want to share several scriptures with you. I don't want to go through a bunch of them, and I don't think we have to do a lot of talking about them, but I want to reinforce what I'm telling you with different places in the Old and New Testament that talk about this very idea If you'll remember, the vision that we have put um, out there for our church is simply this, um, that we would be a changed people who seek to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so we spent some time talking about being with Jesus, and then these last 10 weeks we've talked about becoming like Jesus, and then in this next series we're going to be talking about doing what Jesus did did we're going to bring a whole bunch of crosses up and nails up and we're going to just kind of practice it together now we're not really going to do that but um but we're going to talk about what does it really mean so some of you aren't awake or you're already offended i don't know which it is but um but we are going to spend time talking about that but for myself as a christian i know when i came in wanting to follow jesus i didn't fully know what i was getting into would anyone else concur that that was kind of your experience as well. Um, coming up in a more conservative environment, it, the, one of, it, there's nothing wrong with conservative environments. The conservative environment I came up in um, liked to paint the life of a Christian in do's and don'ts. And there's nothing wrong with do's and don'ts. Jesus talks about do's and don'ts, but 
whenever you frame the growth of your faith on your ability to do the do's and your ability not to do the don'ts, what you end up having, what I found in my own life, is a fairly shallow faith. And it also becomes a fairly judgmental faith. Because at the point that you work really hard to do the right things and not do the wrong things, when you see somebody else who claims to be a Christian and they don't seem to be working as hard to do the do's or not do the don'ts, then you will inevitably begin to judge them because they're not working as hard as you because you will find if your faith falls into a list of do's and don'ts, it is hard work. And many times you just do not feel like you're making progress. And part of that is just the human condition. And some of that is also misunderstanding what it means to be a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. So as I came into my faith, I was at a place in my life where I just, like probably a lot of you, I did not like where I was. I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like how I viewed the world. I didn't like what I was doing to try to fit in. I just, there was something within me that said, this is not good. And so I remember I was 15. I was a sophomore in high school. I remember just saying, God, I don't know what this is all about, but I need to change something. And I don't know if you remember me, but I need Jesus to change my life. I had been in church. I knew enough about church. I knew enough of the stuff of how to know Jesus, to know what to say and know what my first step should be. But it would be many years before I began to discover that much of being a follower of Jesus is about discovering how to be a follower of Jesus. And this is one of the beautiful things about life, and this is one of the reasons that one of our small groups is a Bema group, is because the whole idea behind Bema is helping you discover what the scriptures say about knowing Christ. <clears throat> I may have to get somebody to grab me a bottle of water, by the way. I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't lost my voice in several days now. There you go. I've got some cough drops. Thank you. Thank you, brother. That's why you came today. That's, there's a reason we wanted you here, Ken. There's a lot of reasons we want Ken here. And uh, yeah, this is the least of them, but we're happy he's here. And so <clears throat> part of the idea of Bema is the idea of learning and growing in an ancient Near Eastern culture when we find ourselves in a modern Western culture. And in this modern Western culture, learning is about, let me tell you what to do or what you should know. Now you know, and now you go do the things you're supposed to do. But in an ancient Near Eastern culture, and the way that we approach Scripture is not meant to simply be a read it, memorize it, now go do it. It is more discover what God is trying to say with you through this text through this story through god's work from the very beginning you're to go discover and as you discover and you find these these places in scripture that speak to you about where you are in life it will inevitably change you and so there's a discovery that has to be made and so as we come into this um, process or the end of this series and we're talking about becoming like jesus and you're asking yourself well what does that really mean how do i really do that Um, I want to share some stories, I want to share some scriptures, and then I want to talk a little bit about theologically or doctrinally, what does the scripture say God is going to do to transform you, and what are some of the things that we do to aid in the transformation process? 
So that's what we're going to try to do today. And as we look back over Christianity over the last 2,000 years, people have come to faith in Christ for different reasons. People come looking for meaning. People come looking for purpose. People come with messed up lives looking for answers. People come in search of hope. People come in search of a relationship with God. People come in search of all kinds of things. Often in the very first two or three hundred years of the founding of the church following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, people came through suffering and struggle. And a lot of the early believers were not just aware of suffering, but they knew that they were bringing suffering on themselves by following Jesus because the world around them did not validate or value Christianity. And we know prior to Constantine that there was a great a time of great persecution where just professing faith in Christ could be bringing about a certain death in your own life. And in certain parts of the world today, there are still places where that is true. To profess faith in Christ is to basically ask for a death sentence. We don't have that here, and so here, that's why when we talk about kind of a modern Western view, we have a different view here than, like, let's say, in many of the Middle Eastern cultures of today where Christianity is viewed so aggressively or in Africa where they don't have some of the same development that we've had here if you ask sociologists and theologians and people who study cultural change they'll say that there's really just a movement that happens around the world and it just takes some time to get all the way around and things that happened in Europe took a while before they came to the U.S. and things happening in the U.S. will now take a while to get over to other places like South America or Africa. But they are happening. Culture begins to shift and begins to be more and more of a worldwide culture, especially as we're more connected with each other. But around that time that Constantine took over, I mean, this is the time in which Christians are being put in the arena and they're being fed to lions. And this is all for sport and entertainment. It's a time when the church is growing so intensely in the Roman Empire but the Emperor Nero would blame Christians for his own burning of Rome because they had become such a presence in the Roman kingdom. But when Constantine came on the scene, things began to change. And what we have found in that next 1,700 years or so is that people could be attracted to Christianity for other things than hardship or wanting to know God or a better life or wanting to love people more or understand what is the purpose of humanity. And Christianity began to be a place where you could have power and you could have control over people. One of the things Constantine would do is he would say that no one could hold public office unless they were a Christian. We sometimes echo that in America today where we talk about our Christian values and we expect the people that we vote for to be Christians. And yet it wasn't anything like it was with Constantine where the emperor himself would not allow you to hold office if you did not first profess faith in Christ, which becomes a problem because then we're not professing faith in Christ because we have found something that is good, something that we should know, and something that should transform our lives. Instead, it becomes a tool to get us where we want to be in life. There were times when I was growing up within the church that if you were in business, you wanted to be a part of the big church in town, and that's how the First Baptists and the First Presbyterians and things often would grow because that was a place where you could grow your business. And those kinds of things just, 
They make us today in 2024 struggle with what is Christianity really all about? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to live this life? And whenever we bring it down to do's and don'ts, there are some things we've discovered about people and humanity that really I think people have always known, they just haven't voiced, is that we are complicated people. Look to your neighbor and say, you are complicated. You know it, don't you? You know it. You're just glad someone gave you permission to say it in a public environment, because normally you said it behind closed doors. We're complicated. No two people are exactly the same. You grow up in a family that's kind of that nuclear family that everyone loves each other and you have positive experiences and positive role models. You grow up in that family, you're going to have a very different outlook on the world than if you grow up in a very dysfunctional family. If you grow up in a family that's always angry with each other, you have a tendency to be angry with other people. If you grow up in a family that tends to love each other, you tend to be more loving to other people. But we've also discovered that there are all kinds of things that happen within our lives that we don't have control over, but they change us. We've talked about trauma in here a lot of times, and we can all have trauma from lots of different places. And that trauma changes the way we perceive the world. It changes the way we understand things work. It changes the way we have relationships with other people. And sometimes we just have our own physical makeup. Where sometimes our brains don't work just like everybody else. Our bodies don't work just like everybody else. And you put all that together and you mix it up and we say, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, do these five things and you'll be good. And yet so much of what I hope you've seen over the last 10 weeks that we've talked about becoming like Jesus is really the way we see the world. It's the way we see people. And while we've given several different ways in which we can see the world differently, the reality is is that every one of us struggles to get past the lens that we see the world with because we are not fully responsible for the lens that we have. Sometimes that lens was given to us and we don't know how to have a different kind of lens. I mean, a person can truly want to know Jesus and be so caught up in the trauma of their childhood that they have no idea how to forgive someone or how to love someone. I mean, they feel like they're being loving just by withholding punishment. But yet, a person, just because you're withholding I mean, that's like, that's like minimum standard to even be in a relationship, right? That's not what it means to show love. But in your context, you may have grown up in a place that when punishment was withheld, that was love. That was the only way you felt love. We're complicated people. Whenever we talk about becoming and growing in our faith and becoming like Christ, it is a complicated process. That's one, again, one of the reasons that I love this idea of discovery. It is you going through life discovering what is life about. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What was Jesus about? When Jesus said to do something, why did he say to do that? That's why the why questions are so important and not just the what questions. Because if you internalize the why, the what will naturally follow. One of the parables Jesus would tell talks about the problem when the church became an attractional source for people that wanted something other than to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. That's the parable of the wheat and the tares. And he says you're going to have people that are in 
the church and some of them are going to get it and some of them are not going to get it and your inclination is to go and get rid of all the people who don't get it but the reality is is you may not be able to tell the difference you may not be able to tell their heart from their behavior but this could be a problem our core verses for this series has been john 14 where thomas said Begin with verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The life of being a Christian is following a way. It's not doing everything right or making sure you don't do everything wrong. It's about knowing the way. So much of what we're doing as a church now is we kind of figure out where do we go and what do we do and, and, and all these things <clears throat> has been what is the next right step from here? And that is just a part of life. I mean, very few of us really can look 10 steps down and know what's going to happen. I mean, we may plan that way, but that does not mean that's how it's going to work out. We've got to know the way. And the way of Jesus requires a transformation. It's the turning of one thing into another. One of another source I, I really enjoy um, listening to and watching is the Bible Project. It's Tim Mackey. And um, if you're not familiar with the Bible Project, it is some really good material just to go and have big picture ideas of Scripture. But um, they give media in lots of different ways to you. They, they have a series of videos that takes large chunks of information, condenses them down into these kind of animated, helpful videos with big picture ideas. <clears throat> Their app, they, they have a, an app that will literally offer seminary-level courses that you can dive into if you want you can follow their podcast where a video may be five minutes long, but then they may take 10, 50-minute podcasts to really dive into the details of that five-minute video. One of the things that I love that Tim Mackey says about being transformed is that when Jesus came, Jesus came to become a different kind of human. To our knowledge, this has never happened where God became man. And then he invited us to be his brothers and is in, essentially inviting you and I to become a different type of human, maybe a hybrid, if you will. We'll talk about that in a minute. Isaiah forty-three nineteen, this prophecy that Isaiah was given to the nation said, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Revelation 21.5 And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is making things new. Paul takes that idea in 2 Corinthians and he extends it to us and our own life and our own faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. When we start this next series, we're going to begin with this, by the way. Because if we're going to do what Jesus did, we have to understand what Jesus was trying to do. And what Jesus was trying to do was to do what the Father had been doing from the beginning, which was redeem the world, to reconcile the world to himself, to show them what could have been, what should have been, what can be, and is possible through Jesus Christ. It's getting on the same page, and this is what he's talk, Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, by his death, is offering you and me a new kind of humanity. Now, this is in direct opposition to the typical way we understand the gospel, which is that Jesus is offering you paradise when you die. I think this is the most dangerous and the most misleading piece of the gospel. It is not wrong, but it is not right. Because the gospel is about your life here and now. It is about your marriage. It is about your parenting. It is about your friendships. It is about your church community. It is about your work community and your neighbors and your parents and those people that drive you nuts down the street. It's about all of those things. And it's about the here and the now and it's about the forevermore. The perspectives we talked about I'm not going to go back through, and I, we, <clears throat> we are live streaming today, so we'll have some recordings again starting today. I don't have recordings for these, but we might put some little short videos together with these different ideas that we shared, worship versus idolatry. This was, um, a lot of these are primarily taken from John Tyson's book, Beautiful Resistance, where we worship, we have gratitude, we recognize value, but we don't have idols, where we rest so much of the, the story of the Old Testament is about rest. It is about the Sabbath. It is, it is about God is good, life is good, and we are good versus just working ourselves to death. Jimmy talked about this idea of hunger versus apathy, and he framed it last week in the, the realm of, of do we love God? I mean, do we really love him? Do, is there a passion within us? Is there a drive within us? Or do we just kind of go about our way and just do our thing? And Is there a hunger within us versus just apathy? I think for years I've, I, I said before we started Journey and, and since then, a big problem with Christianity in America is apathy. We just go and we, we go to the better sermons, we go to the better music, we have the better environments, we do the better stuff, and then we go about our lives and the, our lives are two different things, a church and outside of church. There's an apathy that has to be fought. We talked about, and I believe this is a huge part of the perspective of a Christian, is that of hospitality versus fearing the unknown, fearing people, welcoming the stranger. There's so much about Scripture that is just about welcome and love people well, even the stranger, even the refugee. We talked about honoring people versus resenting people. 
at our core base level of our value, we are all made in the image of God. Every single person, even the person that you think has no right to live today, is made in the image of God. We have all of the same value. Can we honor people because all people have something good about them? We have a tendency within our world to resent people that we perceive are better or have things going better than we are or that we don't feel are as good as us. Honoring people is a way of viewing people and viewing the world that will change every one of your relationships, every single one. Loving versus hate. John talked about sacrifice versus privilege, the idea that we give ourselves away for others. We don't use people for what we want from them. You have friends that use you. You know how that feels. You have friends that invest in you. You know how that feels. When we're following Christ, we invest in others. We recognize we have something to give. Self-sacrifice is one of the harder things, one of the harder lenses to see the world through. It is the one that we are called to when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. We also talked about celebration versus cynicism, and I felt very personally connected to this one because I find myself struggling with cynicism regularly. My generation, Generation X, is said to have been the most cynical generation in recorded history. We question everything. We fix everything, even the stuff that shouldn't be fixed. And yet we have an opportunity to celebrate what is good. We can do that in each other. We can do that in God. And we can just be cynical and we can question and we can just be suspicious. These are lenses by which we view the world, but at the same time, it's also a choice that we make. So how does this transformation to this new way of seeing the world and living in the world happen? In Galatians 3, Paul says this, Now faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So there's a number of things that God does within us when we decide that we want to follow Jesus. And again, why we choose to follow Jesus matters. If we choose to follow Jesus for power and control then we aren't actually following Jesus. We're just using a group of people that we can exert some kind of power or influence over, and we're never going to fully grasp the idea of humility or self-sacrifice or giving or the value of others because we feel like they're there for us. Donald Miller wrote a book years ago called Blue Like Jazz, and one of the things he talks about is just the perspective of the way we view people It was a popular perspective at the time, and uh, other authors did the same thing. Um, John Eldridge wrote a series, a whole series of books around this idea. That you are the main character, and everyone else in your life are just supporting characters. They only exist however they're going to add to your story. And I, I know a lot of people that live their lives that way, but I don't know a happy person that does. And I don't know a person who has genuine friendships or genuine relationships that lives their life believing they're the main character and everyone else are supporting characters. You know how it feels to be in that relationship. When you come in 
So a life of faith, I came in trying lots of things to fit in, and at 15, you think you understand the world, but you don't really know anything about the world. As you get older, you go through some things, and you try some things, and you fail at some things, and you succeed at some things, and then the older you get, the more you realize, oh, the world's a little different than I thought it was. When we come into this place of faith, for me, I just knew, God, this is not working out. I am not at peace within myself. The things I'm having to do to fit in, I feel bad about. And the people I'm doing it with, while I I have a group to hang out with at school, I'm pretty certain that any one of them would walk away from me in a heartbeat for somebody better. There was just no peace. Now, Some of that, I believe, is the Holy Spirit saying, Mark, this is not the way. You know better. This is not the way. But I had to find my way. I had to do my way. I had to try my way. And after trying my way, it just didn't work. Now, just so you don't think I was super spiritual from the time I was 15, I dabbled back and forth between my way and Jesus' way to this day. But it came to that moment of saying, this isn't working, and I don't see it working any other way, but the promises you're telling me that are supposed to happen in the Bible, those are the things that I want. I don't know how that's going to work, but I, I want it to happen. And what Paul is saying just through these verses is that God does something in us. So if you are a Christian here today and you feel like you're not a great Christian, God is doing something in you. And if you're a Christian here today and you think, I'm a pretty good Christian, that's only because God has done something in you. However, if you think you're a pretty good Christian, there may be some other underlying issues we need to talk about. There is something that God does in us, just based on what we read in Galatians chapter 3. The first one is is that we're adopted into God's family as sons and heirs with Jesus Christ. We are adopted into his family. If you're a believer here today, you are a part of God's family. And depending on how you view family will will kind of shade whether you see this as a positive or a negative or just something indifferent. If you have positive experiences of family, being adopted into a family is powerful. And yet, if I had Malia in here to talk about what does it mean to be adopted into a family, she'd probably have a very different perspective than I have. You are adopted into his family. You, like When Malia came into our family, I mean, she was family. It didn't necessarily feel like family right off the bat. It was a choice. You are my family. Now, she had been with us for a number of years, so she, by, that, by the time we adopted her, she, she, we, fostered, we were her foster parents for a number of years first. By the time we did actually adopt her, I mean, she was family. But it's a choice. You are in his family. You are grafted in. Like you are not just some, you know, problem child out there. You are his kids. Second thing that he says <clears throat> is that we are baptized into Christ. And what we'll read later, if we continue to read Paul, is part of that by being baptized into Christ is we are baptized by his spirit. And he describes it as putting on Christ, which is a kind of a weird way to put it. We've talked a lot about lenses and perspectives and the way we view the world, but what Paul is saying by putting on Christ is like putting on a garment. Like, I, I'm, I'm still Mark, 
It's not like all of the bad inclinations that I had in my life are just gone. But I put on Christ. I'm choosing to live His way. And yet He is baptizing me into this family. And one of the incredible pictures of this is the picture of Pentecost when the disciples are up in the upper room and Jesus is basically commissioning them there you know this is you're it you're going to be the ones that are going to take this message we're going to change the world and I'm going to do it through you and they're like how are we going to do this and then this incredible picture of these tongues of fire come into this room and surround them and settle on them and dwell within them and if you remember when we talked about Genesis and well we've talked about it in different series but especially we talked about it in Genesis we talked about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of the earth and the kingdom of heaven. And when we look at really the idea in Scripture of what does it look like for heaven, um, what is it going to be? It's, it's not the idea of us bouncing from cloud to cloud or having wings that we're going to fly around. The idea that Scripture, if you really dive into Scripture and understand Scripture, the idea is that, that, that heaven is like this separate reality than the earth. And if you go through Revelation, what you're going to find is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But really what is happening is, is there's this two kingdoms coming together where there'll be just one. And that hasn't happened yet, but that's what's going to happen. It is this new heaven and this new earth. You know, we don't know all the implications of how all of that is going to work, but it's not about us dying and going somewhere else. It's about something being different right here and that happens when you, you go in and you read and you dive deep into that and we find places where god has been doing that all along we have the garden of eden and then adam and eve are kicked out of the garden of eden and and then we have these flaming swords there that are protecting it so humanity can't get back in because god can't have sin coming in to that environment and so then we We've kind of chased that imagery of fire through the Old Testament. If you remember, we talked about Exodus. And now we have this burning bush. And, and I remember there, um, David Foreman is one of the influences of Marty Solomon. No? Okay. And uh, he talked a lot. Of, he's not a Christian. He's a Jewish rabbi. But, you know, I would.
There we go. Thank you. But we do something too. There's a part of this that we have to do something too, and that is put on Christ. The second thing we have, I've discovered you have to do is we have to work to see the world differently. There are some people that make me frustrated, and I have to, I, I literally have to tell myself they are made in God's image. They are made in God's image. And crazy enough, it changes my perspective of them. Maybe ever so slightly, but it does change my perspective of them. They are made in God's image. It reminds me to respond to them differently. It's, we, we work to see the world differently. A third one, which is difficult for some of us, is, and one of the things that can take us too far in one direction, is that we choose to live more disciplined lives. We choose to be more disciplined. Christians should be more disciplined in the way we live our lives. It does mean we do read Scripture because Scripture is where we discover what God is wanting to do with us and in us and around us. And then how do we respond to that? We choose to live more disciplined lives. And the fourth thing is that we practice what we discover. I have just found this. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to discover and you got to practice what you discover. I mean, if you'll do those two things, everything else will fall into place. Discover, practice what you discover. You can't discover if you're not in God's Word. I was talking to a friend this past week, and they were just um, they were leading a series of Bible studies, and they were struggling with what are they gonna what are they gonna do? And we just I just one of the things I told them that that changed for me was when I began to read the Bible from cover to cover. There's a number of ways you can do that. I, you can go on Uversion and download a, a year through the Bible. You can let it read to you when you're in the car. Just, just make yourself aware of all of Scripture from beginning to end. And do not be a New Testament-only person. Jesus was not a New Testament person. Jesus made the New Testament happen. Jesus was an Old Testament person. Because his sermons were all Old Testament, and then the stuff that would become the New Testament. Cover to cover. Expose yourself to it, and then you'll discover as you read through it. And some of it you'll read through it and you go, I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean anything to me. But the deeper you go, it will pull you in. It's like pulling a thread. You'll just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Discover, and then practice what you discover. I'm not going to read this next. I'm just going to summarize the rest of this, Jeremy. But Jesus talked about this through the parable of the sower. And he said, the kingdom of God is like a sower who went out and he sowed seed and threw seed out. He cast seed out over this broad area. And some of it fell on rocky ground. And the birds came and snatched it up and ate it and they took off. And some of it fell on shallow soil and it grew very quickly And then it didn't have enough depth for it to really develop. And the cares of the world um, just kind of just strangled the life out of that new seed. And then the third type of seed fell on, or the third type of soil fell on good soil, deep soil. And it grew and it bore fruit. And the imagery of that, Jesus, the disciples said, we don't have any idea what you're talking about, the seed and this sower. And he goes on and he basically says this. So these are my last four slides, Jeremy. 
that shallow soil, that rocky soil, those who have no context for the kingdom of God will never embrace it or experience it. That's why the feet are beautiful of those who bring the good news to the world. If you have no context for it, you have um, (coughs) no idea what the kingdom of God is, you're not going to probably experience it. If a person grows up in a loveless home who uses Christianity to beat their, their kids over the head, then it's unlikely they've actually experienced the kingdom of God. They've experienced religion, but they've not likely experienced the kingdom of God. If a person grows up in a home in which there's no um, response to Christianity whatsoever, there's no scripture, they don't have any friends that are Christians, they don't ever attend a church, they don't have a grandma or anybody, like just, just the only view they have of the world is outside of Christ, outside of God. It's possible, but it's unlikely that they're going to fully embrace the idea of the kingdom because they have no reference for it. They have no frame of reference for it. It's that rocky ground. The second type is those who have no nurturing in the kingdom of God will grow distracted and eventually lose heart and interest in it. I'll just live in the world like everyone else because it's just too hard or it just doesn't work. And that's that shallow soil. Nurturing you know why it's so important to be here on Sunday mornings? Why it's so important to be a part of a group? Why it's so important to serve, not just here, but outside of here? Why it's so important for people to know that you're a believer? Why they need to see you struggle and how you resolve that struggle? Because you're nurturing something within someone else. And when no one else is nurturing that, you can say, yeah, I want Jesus. I want peace. I want hope. I want forgiveness. I want this eternal life. I want all this stuff. But there's no one there to nurture it or they themselves don't have the tools to nurture it themselves. Often they get real excited and then just walk away. We see it over and over again. But the third type is this. Those who have a context for the kingdom of God and nurturing in the kingdom of God will more, I should have said more, I did, in my slide, will more likely embrace and experience it. This is why the church is so important. Like when you walk in to the parking lot and you're like, how's your week? It has been awful. Like that's nurturing the kingdom of God. When someone comes up and they have felt lonely all week and you said, hey, I'm so glad to see you. You are nurturing the kingdom of God within them. When someone's been through a traumatic past and you are willing to approach them understanding their trauma and yet you show them what it's like to know and love Jesus, you are nurturing the kingdom of God within them. Some of you, you know, we we think of nurturing more in leadership positions. Like some of you are teachers and teaching is absolutely nurturing the kingdom of God in people. But Some of you are just good friends. And by being a good friend, you are nurturing the kingdom of God within other people. The way we talk about scripture together is a way of nurturing God, the kingdom of God, in other people. The way you study scripture is a way that you nurture the kingdom of God in your own life and in other people's lives. And one of the reasons that that Jesus said, do you need to come together? One of the reasons the scriptures say 
you should not forsake the gathering of Christians. Even though he would also say, a whole bunch of you churches are messed up. is because we nurture it when we're together. This is what I want to leave you with. <clears throat> Following the way means experiencing the kingdom of God. Being disciplined to train yourself to see the world and each other differently. And the humility to sacrifice your own needs for the needs of others. It is literally love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So much of all of this is wrapped up still in the two greatest commandments. So as we wrap up the way, the truth, and the life, understand God is doing something in you. He has a role to play and is doing something in you. And you have a role to play too. And as you do that, as you follow the way, as you discover, practice what you discover. You'll begin to see the world and people differently. It will change the way you see. Would you pray with me? Father.